Okay, welcome to Gradcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, if, if you're on the radio, thank you for listening live. Uh, and if you're listening to this recorded, thanks for taking the time to listen. Uh, I'm Ariel Frame, your host, and I'm here with your with my co-host, Yimin Chen. Say hello. Hey, what's up? And we have an intriguing guest today. Uh, we want to hear about his work, uh, Mohammed Gatti. Say hello. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Um, Mohammed is a PhD student in the biology department, and he works with stem cells in some way, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about it. Um, why don't you tell us about your work? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Mohammed. I am in the lab of Dr. Greg Kelly over in biology. And my work, as Ariel mentioned, focuses on stem cells, specifically how the mammalian embryo develops. Okay. So what's a mammalian embryo? What's a mammalian embryo? So I guess the whether it's a mammalian embryo, so mammalian being mammals, right. vertebrates, or invertebrates, um, I think a lot of people might know what that means. However, what the word embryo means is not so commonly known. And essentially, if you were to think of an embryo, it's just literally a sphere or a cluster of, of cells. And if you're unsure what cells are, just think of cells as, um, uh, as these little balls, and they have things happening inside them. Honestly, I think the best analogy when I can think of cells is, 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 a, is a city. Picture a city, and it has kind of a wall surrounding it. That would be kind of what protects the city. Cool. Inside the city, you have little factories. So one factory could be producing food and energy. That could be what's known as the mitochondria in the cell. You oh, also have roads right. and traffic lights, and that's uh, that's what's known as the cytoskeleton. So things inside the city don't just float. They actually move on roads. Same thing in, in cells. Things don't just float. They move on the cytoskeleton. And you also have other kind of unique molecules just floating around, and they do special things every now and then. So, so there's all sorts of complicated activity inside these cells is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've heard the, the a cell referred to as the basic unit of life. So basically all, all, all life have cells, right? Uh, or are to, cells? Yeah, to some extent, to some extent. I mean, most definitely complex organisms are, are made up of cells. And then you can get a little organism in the middle of nowhere in some volcano where it just doesn't fit the rule. But most cases, you're correct. Right. So, and you are looking at uh, kind of on a molecular level, what is going on in those cells where some people might look at the whole animal or just one tissue. You're kind of looking what is going on inside each of those cells. And that's what you were talking about with that city analogy, yes. right? Absolutely. So, I mean, my work focuses on a special kind of cell. It's actually a stem cell. So a lot of people might have heard the word stem cell in media and how it can potentially, you can cure diseases or you can regenerate organs. And it's all true to some extent. I mean, don't get uh, don't get too excited about potentially having a regenerative heart or anything soon. However, a stem cell is very unique in the sense that if you give it a specific signal, it will go towards a specific lineage. What do I mean by lineage? I mean a stem cell could be guided towards a muscle cell, it could be pushed towards a neuron, it could be pushed towards a cardiac cell, intestinal cells, 
et cetera, and et cetera. So that's why stem cells are very powerful because they can give rise to a whole plethora of other cells. Okay, so I mean, I've often heard stem cells, you know, um, talked about in the context of embryos, but can you tell us a little bit about what that relationship is? Absolutely. So essentially, the embryo is a structure that's made up of various types of stem cells. So to kind of keep things simplified, the embryo is largely made up of two special stem cells. One stem cell would give rise, one group of stem cells, it's not just one, it's a cluster of cells, they would give rise to the to the embryo or to, or to the essentially the baby itself. And the other subset of cells would give rise to what's known as the placenta. So okay. the placenta is a very important structure. No placenta, no baby. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. Hmm. And um, so when you're starting off just from presumably the one cell to start with, and then you split and get a lot more, um, is at that level, is it quite similar? A quite similar process from different animals, or like maybe all all mammals share the same? What about um, flies? Always <laughs> uh, um, oh, so the fruit flies. Yeah, Ariel. the fruit flies. I knew Ariel was going to bring that up. Um, so when it comes to vertebrates, it's pretty well conserved. Uh, if I take a mouse embryo, a human embryo, and a what's your favorite pet? dog embryo. You won't be able to distinguish the three. If I kind of just mix up the pictures, you won't be able to tell the difference between the three. However, the embryo, embryo levels, we're at, not even talking one yes, cell yet. We're talking still a lot absolutely. of cells. If you, you look still at, won't be able to tell. You, won't be, you definitely won't be, be able to tell uh, at the zygote. So when the egg and the sperm meet and you have what's known as the zygote, you can't tell that difference. Similarly, a week post-fertilization, hmm. you still won't be able to tell the difference, which kind of says how similar we are when we look down the microscope, yet nine months later, we look completely different than a dog and uh, cats, etc. And a fly. <laughs> and a fly. Definitely a fly. Nine months later. Three generations. <laughs> three generations later. <laughs> okay. That's, that's really interesting. So, um, um, what uh, what molecularly are you are you interested in uh, in the development of these um, of these stem cells? Absolutely. So in a cell, as I mentioned, again, if we go back to the analogy of the city, you have different people living in a city. You have doctors, engineers, lawyers, researchers, uh, and they each have different jobs. So a lawyer would go to a courthouse, doctors would go to hospitals, etc. Well, a similar thing takes place in a, in a cell, specifically a stem cell. You have different proteins and they go to specific locations to do specific things. My work actually focuses on um, metabolism. And um, you've probably heard a few talks ago in, in May where Asad Lone, a PhD student in the coming lab, where he talked about metabolism with relation to neurodegenerative disease, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, et cetera. Um, my, uh, my work actually focuses on how metabolism can guide stem cells to specific lineages. Okay, so you're, so you're saying, just for those not super familiar with metabolism, metabolism basically being how cells, uh, you, you know, get energy and, uh, and, use, and, and use up energy. That's a simple definition Absolutely. of metabolism. So I, how can you connect um, what energy you use to, to the development of a cell? Does it matter? Like if you don't have enough energy to do your stem cell-y sort of thing you usually do as a stem cell, uh, do you like give up because you're just tired as a stem cell? <laughs> you know, essentially that's, that's exactly what happens. I mean, if you're hungry, 
and you don't eat and you don't drink, you're not going to get much work done because you're very tired and eventually you'll die. But uh, a, a cell works in a very similar fashion. It obviously needs energy to, to essentially function and live. But not only that, we've actually shown that some of the molecules or the players involved in metabolism not only function for energy production, but as well as they can act as a signaling molecule. And what I mean by signaling molecule are molecules that can activate specific things that happen in a cell or essentially shut down certain pathways or things in a cell. So you're essentially talking about in, in terms of stem cells and embryos, these are signals or influences that can guide how the eventual sort of baby develops at a very early stage. Absolutely, yeah. So the work that we do focuses on three days to four days post-fertilization. So a mother doesn't even know she's pregnant at that point. However, a lot of the events that take place early on in development kind of uh, pave the road towards a healthy embryo development. And our lab primarily focuses on what's known as the extra embryonic tissue. So not the tissue that, or not the cells that give rise to the embryo itself, but what gives rise to anything but the embryo. One example being is the placenta. Cool. So, I mean, um, you're, you're talking at, at that point, you know, in the mother, mm -hmm. uh, and we're talking about energy usage. So where does the energy come from? From the For that, I, I suppose the mother has to eat. You know <laughs> does what? that make a big difference? Um, yes and no. So the yes portion is absolutely the mother has to eat to feed the embryo once it implants. So once the embryo actually kind of fuses with the, with the endometrium or the uterus. However, when you're looking at the work that we do, which is three to four days post-fertilization, the embryo is essentially floating uh -huh. to get to implantation. So whatever energy the embryo needs, it's actually stored in the egg, in the oocyte itself. And again, you can always go back and say, well, what the mother eats can potentially still be stored in the egg. So that was where the yes and no kind of... You know, uh, uh, um, you know I've, I've heard of, a, what's it called, IVF, in vitro fertilization, something yeah. like that, where mm -hmm. the idea is, if, I guess you can have an egg uh, outside of the, the the woman's body is, is it is this is pre-fertilization like you can't look at an egg like it's been floating around so I mean I, I was thinking can you take this can you take this zygote out do something to it and put it back because it's not attached yet uh, absolutely and that's exactly what happens in an IVF clinics uh, couples that have difficulty uh, conceiving what they do is they would essentially collect sperm collect egg and they would just them together and then they would screen for which uh, which zygote or which healthy egg should we put back into the mother and they just inject it back in so that that's exactly what happens so you can definitely do that however there are more ethical concerns when you're talking about human embryos versus what we do which is mouse work yeah. okay and so the idea behind that is well one there are these ethical issues yes um, involved in experimenting with human embryos but also like you said, um, mammalian development up until a certain point is very similar. And, and is that why, uh, what makes mice like a good animal to study in lieu of humans? Abs absolutely. When you're looking at, again, a lot of mice, rats, pigs, even dogs to some extent, there are people on campus that work on dog blastocysts and, and dog development. Uh, yeah, the, the fact that you not only 
morphologically or the way it looks is very similar. When you look at actually uh, down the microscope and you look at uh, proteins that are involved, transcription factors, so things that kind of guide and, and, and function the cell in a specific way, they're also very similar and they behave in a very similar manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in maybe pulling back to more of a big picture kind mm-hmm. of view, can you tell us a little bit about um, what are you trying to find out with this research you're doing? Uh, absolutely. So again, this is one of the major questions that I always get is, Mo, so you're doing all this work, so what? What are you trying to cure? Well, in our lab, we're not really trying to cure anything. And again, we were talking about this analogy earlier. So imagine if um, we all know what a normal car kind of sounds like, what the engine, what noises it can make and what it shouldn't make. And if I bring a car and just starts to squeak all of a sudden, well, you'd know there's something wrong with this car based on previous knowledge. And that's exactly what our lab is trying to do. We're trying to understand what happens under normal conditions. And then by understanding what happens normally, we can then translate that and and apply that to what happens abnormally in diseases such as cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, diabetes, you name it. And a lot of the things that actually uh, take place in the embryo are just essentially messed up in any different kind of context, specifically in disease. So, yeah. so when I go to the uh, used stem cell dealership and he tries to sell me a, a squeaky stem cell, I'm going to be like, no, I know from Mo's work, they're not meant to squeak. Absolutely. And usually, normally, they're not squeaking. Absolutely. And you know what? The, the Again, the special thing about the stem cell is, for example, if we use that analogy and let's say, yeah, that stem cell can squeak, it actually has the ability to not only fix itself, but sometimes... The reason why stem cells are so special, I kind of gave you half of the story early on, is that yes, they can give rise to you know, different kinds of cells, cardiac, neurons, etc. However, they also have the ability to kind of replenish themselves. So for example, if an embryo is stressed and all of a sudden the stem cell population is depleting, well, what the embryo will essentially do is make more of the stem cells. So it has, it has kind of a nice uh, level of, of, of stem cells maintained at all times. So it can sort of like regenerate more Absolutely. stem cells. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think, where a lot of the, the field is heading towards is what's known as regenerative medicine. A lot of the people are trying to take stem cells and kind of play around with them molecularly, add specific things, and inject them back into mice or eventually uh, clinical trials, so into humans. However, uh, this is where kind of it gets very tricky because you have to keep in mind a stem cell can give rise to everything, essentially. So if I take a stem cell and I inject it into your eyes, well, it can give rise to neurons. It can give rise to muscle cells. Well, last time I checked, you don't want a muscle in your eye and you don't want a neuron growing in your eye. So it's not as simple as, yes, these stem cells are very powerful in what they can do, but it's you kind of have to, we need to understand more how to culture these cells, how to maintain them and how to differentiate them or push them towards a specific lineage and not kind of um, pollute uh, these stem cells with other lineages specifically for clinical trials. Right. So so if we go back to like the car analogy, it's yeah. like if you have a car and the wheel falls off, stem cells have the ability to sort of regrow your wheel. Yes. But if you don't know what you're doing, if you have the wrong stem cells and if you're using them the wrong way, instead of a wheel, you get like a second engine where that should be. Absolutely. Triple, Absolutely. triple muffler. Tri- triple muffler. Yeah. So you kind of oh, got to yeah, go to the, everywhere. Uh, to the right dealer. Absolutely. That, that's actually, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. You want the right things to grow in the right places. Yeah. You know, um, 
so you were saying how the sort of stem cells sort of know when hey there's not a lot of us around uh, let's i'm sort of maybe empathizing with, yeah. <laughs> with the stem anthropomorphizing cells, anthropomorph- anthropomorphizing the cells a bit too much but um it can a stem cell detect um like how many other stem cells similar to it are around and then realize there's not enough let's grow more yeah how does it do that absolutely um there are I don't know if I can answer that question comfortably. Um, however, there are definitely signaling molecules and and factors that a cell, when it senses are being depleted, it activates specific things to kind of induce pr- uh, proliferation or essentially just division. Mm. Uh, what are these specific mechanisms? I honestly don't know, but PubMed, if you want <laughs> to know the answer. Well, you said something a little earlier that sort of surprised me. Um, you're talking about how your research is sort of situated mm-hmm. in trying to figure out what's normal in terms of embryonic yeah. development, things like that. And I mean, for me, I always assumed we sort of already knew that. Is that not true? Um, you'd be surprised how little we know. Well, I'm I mean, surprised. I, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think when it comes to understanding what happens normally versus abnormally, just look at where the funding goes. So a lot okay. of the funding, a lot of research unfortunately, is is money-driven. Mm-hmm. And a lot of funding goes towards diseases and trying to cure diseases. So that kind of limits basic science research or research that's trying to understand just literally what happens under normal conditions. Um, we do know a lot, for sure. It's just not enough to kind of take um, what we know and translate it from what's known as to bench to, to bedside uh, application. And, and I think that reflects in the... Uh, when we look at a lot of the problems that we have, we haven't really solved much of it. Cancer is still around. Uh, neurodegenerative diseases are still around. Diabetes are on the rise. I mean, there are other factors that influence that. However, we haven't really come up with a cure or ways to prevent or even slow down uh, these. There are definitely diet and exercise can prolong and, and extend your, your lifespan, however, to some extent. Um, so uh, if I wanted to go about treating a disease uh, with stem cells, um, how how could one do that? How one could do that? The way to not do that is inject yourself with stem cells. So let's get, just get that out of the way. Start there, yeah. Uh, absolutely. There are a lot of actually clinics out there that would uh, that essentially promise you that, oh, if you have a knee and you need stem cells, we'll just pump you. And, and they'll show you data where it worked in one person, but they don't tell you about the other 700 people that can't cancer in their, in their legs. So uh, it works if you want to take the risk. However, I don't recommend anything that's not FDA approved. Wow. Second, <laughs> if you do want to do something like that, um, I would wait. There isn't an answer. There isn't a way where we can do this safely at the moment. There are clinical trials in Japan for, I, I believe, macular degeneration. It's only cl- in phase two right now. Uh, there is uh, clinical trials for uh, individuals that have diabetes. However, again, it's still in phase two. So we, we haven't really mastered um, the... Um, the application uh, property of a stem cell to, to its fullest potential, in my opinion. Give it a few more years, and I think things will definitely change for the for the better. I know, I know. You this isn't necessarily your wheelhouse, and you're not a clinician, obviously. Absolutely, and, you're, yeah. and you said you study normal n- normal phenomena, not disease yeah. phenomena. Uh, but uh, for those who don't know about phase two, what does it mean that you just said hey, it's in phase two? Does that mean like is that not good? Um, no, and phase two is definitely good. So there are three phases to a clinical trial. 
I think phase one is again. Don't quote me on this. Definitely do your uh, your uh, your research just in case I was wrong. Uh, I think phase one is where uh, you have people that are essentially dying from whatever disease that they have, and they just do whatever treatment to them. Uh, phase two might be I think the healthy population, and phase three is well, do your research and you'll know what phase three is. It's all about. So basically different stages in the production and testing of treatments and medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I guess they're just, they're just working hopefully just on the safety part. Cause I mean, step one, I would think is I don't want any cancer in my knee. Uh, And then if you can get past that, then maybe we can work on actually fixing the knee. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So uh, maybe we can broaden up into about talking about life as a grad student in the biology department. Uh, Maybe you can tell us what it's like working in biology. Absolutely. So, I mean, I do most of my work in the, in Greg's lab in the department of biology. However, I also work in, um, in, in Fizz Farm Labs and uh, in, in Schulich. And honestly, I think overall the environment is very friendly. People are extremely friendly. They're willing to chat about what they do and they want to listen to you. If you have any problems, uh, we have obviously close collaborators, the coming lab, um, and uh, we're in constant, I think, dialogue back and forth and bouncing ideas back and forth. So that's kind of the research aspect. And I think everyone is just nice. You walk around the hallways and they're smiling. So I'm happy. Could you give us um, sort of a snapshot? What does your typical day look like? Um, Absolutely. As a grad student researching these Absolutely. Sorts of things? So, I mean... I'm in the lab around 10, 10.30, so that's pretty late for some people. Um, so I, I walk in, I think the first thing I do is I go take a look at my cells. If my cells are hungry and if they're dying, I essentially can't do much for the day. So wait, I, wait. I, I, I wait, how can you tell if your cells are hungry? Do they have little like faces? Well, so the way we grow our cells is actually in a specific media. Think of media as, as essentially blood. It, it has okay. nutrients, it has serum, it has factors that will keep the cells happy. What we also have in that media is a special uh, indicator. It would tell us whether the cells have used up everything or haven't. And when we see color changes, we know that, okay, these cells are hungry versus no, they're okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I take a look at my cells and sometimes I experiment on them. So I add specific chemicals and I see how they behave or I try and shut down certain things and see how they behave. And we just assay for things. We look at, we use microscopes. So we look down a microscope to look at cells, how they look. We also assay for protein levels, um, RNA levels, uh, things like that. So could I ask you, what does it mean to assay for something? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that question. To assay is to to test or to to essentially use a method to detect something you are looking at. And clearly I just put that on the fly. So I think I that's I think that's a fair I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah, fair description. Right. So so the different techniques to look at stuff and to figure out what you're looking at. Absolutely. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll agree to that. All right, sure. Um so you said you keep on you, you experiment with yourselves, you you sort of take care of them and stuff. You also said earlier that you work with cells that um, are about three or four days p- after fertilization. Yeah. Can you give us a sense of how big these cells are? Or like, how, well, they're more than one cell, right? Yeah, it's a so, colony of cells. So how many cells, if you know that, and how, um, how big are they? They're very small. I mean, you're definitely not going to see them with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking in terms of numbers, we are talking in the maybe millions millions range so stem cells have the capacity to just keep dividing they keep give giving rise to each other and they'll just keep 
splitting and splitting and splitting. So overnight, you can go from, let's say, a million to 10, 20 million. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, they're not in uh, short supply. You got lots of them. I got plenty frozen for sure. Okay, so you you mentioned three to four day old cells. What happens after that time? So if you're doing any, uh, I mean, for mice, it doesn't really matter. You can do whatever you want after that. I think for humans is where it gets a little tricky because with human embryos, you kind of have to follow a specific ethical guidelines. You're actually not allowed to grow them more than seven days, I believe. So anything after seven days, you essentially have to chuck these cells out. If they catch you with them, you're in big trouble. Well, why is that? Well, the public has this kind of tendency to think that we are growing humans in embryo, in, in, in test tubes, sorry. And it's, it's, it's very hard to grow an embryo in like the perfect ex- environment at the right temperature, giving it the right kind of things to eat. So to grow it in a test tube is, is nearly impossible for now. <laughs> I had to emphasize it for now. Is that one of your goals, ultimately? Um, maybe not. Well, maybe not. not. Really. Something you want to admit to publicly. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I guess uh, when I hear the word stem cell, it, it does, in my mind, make me think of uh, controversy. Uh, what, <laughs> what yeah. uh, I mean, that might, might be one of the controversial things that people think you may be growing um, humans in a tube. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, one other thing about controversy is there anywhere? absolutely i mean the other one is i kind of talked about earlier is they a lot of clinics would kind of l- trick people and they would say oh if you have this problem we can inject you with this, this stem cell and they've shown them on paper oh. that these stem cells give rise to whatever you want and you can easily kind of get money from people and uh trick them in, in that sense okay uh all right well uh we'll uh, try to avoid controversy and stick to the normal healthy stuff and learn how that works before we delve into some great big uh, treatments for disease. I think that's the safe way to go. Well, yep. uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this has been a production of the Society of Graduate Students. Um, if you want to check us out, uh, check uh, you can go to gradcast.ca and uh, a lot of our episodes are posted there. And if you want to come on the show or become a committee member and actually be a host just like me, uh, then you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Um, and that's been... Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank Mo. you. It was great having you. Thank you. That's been Gradcast. Thank you very much.